Well, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Allen, for giving me the opportunity to share this morning. It's uh, always good to get to share with my church family, uh, people that I have grown to love over the past couple of years. And let me just tell you from the bottom of my heart, y'all have made me and my family feel so loved over the past really couple of months as we get ready to welcome Molly. And now that she's here, just the showering of love that y'all have shared with us has been so amazing. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts um, so much. Um, I want to talk a couple of things before we get going. Uh, first off, three weeks from now, we're in Easter service in the gym. Uh, folks have asked me, why are we going to the gym? Why are we doing that? Why don't we just do it here? And my answer to that is we want to create an atmosphere at the gym that is as inviting to the lost community as possible. Statistically speaking, Easter Sunday is the most attended church Sunday of the year. It's the most likely opportunity that we have to get some of our lost family and some of our lost friends to come to a church service. However, you know that some people are a bit nervous about coming into a church building. So we want to take this church, we want to remove as many barriers as we can and take the church to the community, to, to a setting that is most conducive to a person being willing to come, being willing to come and hear the message that we have for them. I'm excited about what's going to happen. I'm thankful that we've got a church leadership team that's willing to take those kinds of risks that is totally community and kingdom focused. This is not about us. It's not about doing something cool. It's not about doing something awesome. It's about doing something that will maximize the glory of God and help maximizing the ability of us to reach our lost friends and our lost family and our community. So be prayed up about how you can be a part of that. Pray up about how you can serve in that. We need a whole bunch of people to pull this thing off, okay? And that's you. That is you. We need you to be a part of this service, to serve during the services, to serve in the setup. You'll hear more in the announcements about how you can get plugged into those opportunities. So as we get started today, I want to take a minute to recap. Man, last Sunday, if you missed last Sunday's message from Pastor Allen, go back and watch it online. It is worth watching. Uh, it was one of the most challenging messages that I've heard from this church since we've been here, and that's saying a lot. Uh, Pastor Allen poured his heart out to us, and God spoke a mighty word about what it means to abide in Christ. It's one of those things that, um, that man, just it, we've read it and we've memorized that scripture, but, but man, just to, to hear it hit home that much uh, was so powerful. John 15, 5, Allen shared with us last week. Jesus tells his disciples that he is the vine and that we are just the branches. That if we remain in him, we can bear fruit, but apart from him, we can do nothing. All right, and so that's that's kind of the the cornerstone of this abide in me series. This is um, this is a series, you know. As I was thinking about where I was going today, I was thinking back to a um, a camp, a student camp that I went to back in two thousand nine as as an adult chaperone. I was twenty four at the time. It was a place called Camp to Know Him over in Pisgah. Some of you may have been there. It's a beautiful wooded retreat. They got lakes. They got a big iceberg in the middle of the lake. Uh, a couple of big cabin rooms. A beautiful mountain view up on top of Sand Mountain. One of the things at the time that they had was this giant zip line. Uh, as I, I was trying to Google to get some pictures of the zip line tower, and, and I think about 2012 a tornado came through and, and knocked the tower down, and they never rebuilt it. So I couldn't find any pictures to show y'all. But at 2009, I promise you it existed. And this was a zip line that plunged you probably about a 30-second ride down a zip line into a lake below. It was one of the coolest things. It was an exhilarating ride. It was really, really, really a neat thing to be able to take a group of students to. And by the way, students, um, 
summer camp, we're having our first summer camp this year. If you haven't signed up, do that June 3rd through the 6th at Camp Lee in Anniston. You're going to make some memories at that camp like I'm about to share with you the memories that we made at this camp in Pisgah. Uh, I was there. Uh, the zip line, it looked cool. I like things that go fast, but unfortunately, I do not like things that go high. Okay, uh, I have a terrible fear of heights, uh, some of which apparently I've been able to mask over the years. We were getting this trimmed out, the stage ready to go as we were renovating. I remember me standing on the top step of a ladder, very unsafe, don't do that at home, on the top step of a ladder trying to, to get some of these uh, little trim pieces screwed in and nailed in. Uh, I, I hope I was able to mask my fear. I don't know, Will, was I, I mean, you, you, you didn't see it? Well, I promise you there was fear in my heart at the time because I do not like being up that high. Um, but I'm looking at this tower. Now, this tower is, you know, you go to Gatlinburg. Y'all seen zip lines in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, big, you know, popular retreat areas. They've got these elaborate staircases that are built to take you all the way to the top, and they spiral around like seven times around the tower to get you there. And it's just a pain to have to walk up the steps. But, you know what, you get the fun part at the end of it. This was not that. This was four telephone poles sticking up out of the ground with a little platform on top and a 30-foot straight ladder to get you about 60% of the way to the top of this thing. Now, after that, after that 60%, it's just little metal stakes sticking every foot, every other side of this pole, take you vertically 20 feet straight up to the rest of the top of that platform. Now, I was happy, I was content to sit in the lake and cheer on the students as they came by. Great job, man, that looks fun. Man, that's awesome. And finally, one of them calls me out, and they say, Jeremiah, why aren't you going? Are you scared? I'm a 25-year-old grown man. You think I'm scared? <laughs> scared. I was terrified. I wasn't scared. <laughs> I didn't want any part of that, but I'm not going to let some little punk 16-year-old call me out. So doggone it, you know what I did? I got up and I marched my little self right up the top of that hill. It's like a Peppa Pig hill, you know, go straight up. You know, any parents that can agree with me on that, go straight up in the air, takes you to the top of this base of the platform. So, so I'm already worn out by the time I get to the bottom of this platform. And, and it's at this point, I'm still terrified, and I look at this thing, and I'm debating. I'm a logical-minded guy, so I'm looking for a rational reason why I should go up this tower. And here's the reason that came into my mind. Y'all ready? There's an insurance agent somewhere that's betting $2 million I'm not going to die. All right, I should be okay. I should be okay. So I get ready. They hook me into this harness. And mind you, I'm about 50 pounds heavier then than I am now. So I was a big old boy. Not that I'm not a big old boy now, but I was a really big old boy then. I get up 30 feet up this straight ladder that I'm pretty sure was rated at about 200 pounds the way it was wobbling as I was climbing it up. I get to the top of the straight ladder, and then I get to the telephone lineman portion of this. Y'all ever climbed a straight vertical before? It's very different than climbing angle. Climbing angle, you get to use your whole body to climb. When you're as big around as I am and bigger, and you've got this telephone pole, you're no longer climbing like this. You're climbing like this. And I'm not using my entire body to climb this thing. Now I'm using my feet and my arms to pull my tail up there. Plus a little bit of tension that the guys on the bottom were helping me as they were pulling. I think they were pretty much pulling me up. But I, I'm working my tail off. I get to the top of this thing. I sit down on the platform. The guy unhooks my climbing harness, puts on my jumping harness. And I look, and three feet over there is my jumping platform. And right down below me are all the ants 
down below looking for me to get out of their way so they can come and have a turn. I'm reminded of a scene from Smokey and the Bandit. Y'all ever watch Smokey and the Bandit? Yeah, Yeah, eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking. Let's go. I'm reminded of a scene very early in the movie. You know, Burt Reynolds and Sally Field are running from Sheriff Buford T. Justice. And they're driving down a dirt road trying to lose them. And they come to a bridge that's out. And there's a whole bunch of dirt that's just ramped up at the bridge where it was. And Burt Reynolds looks and goes, that's bad. Does a 180, fires that firebird around, starts driving the other way. About three seconds later, you see three sheriff's deputies with their lights on chasing and coming right at him. And he goes, that's worse. Does another 180, heads right back to the ramp. And despite what our friends from Mythbusters would tell us, he jumps that ramp, lands unscathed on the other side, and continues to drive off toward Atlanta. While the sheriff's deputies did exactly what our friends at Mythbusters would tell us, they pop over the ramp and go straight down into it. That's how I felt when I was at the top of this tower. I look over at the jumping platform and say, that's bad. And then I look back down at the ladder that I just wore myself out climbing. and go, That's worse. <sighs> it's at this point that I realize the time for me to figure out if this is something I want to do has passed. It's time for me to come up and do what I have committed myself now to do. So the, the instructor that's at the top, he walks me over to the platform, and he's giving me instructions. He's telling me what it is I need to do. You need to hold on like this. You need to sit backward, kind of squat down, and just lay back. You don't have to really jump. And I looked at him. I said, son, if you want me off this thing, you're probably going to have to push me. And without thinking, he goes, okay. (laughs) I was prepared for a negotiation. He was not. He was ready. (laughs) I think he's done this before. So he pushed me down. The ride was exhilarating. I am so glad I did it. It was such a fun ride down that zip line. It was not terrifying at all. I did mow the grass a little bit because, you know, some of the 160-pounders that were going down there didn't get that low. So I, I did clip a little bit, but uh, it was still fun. I did not do it again. I have not done it since. I don't intend to do it again. But in that moment, I realized I have committed, and it's too late to figure out a way out of this. I've got to do what I've signed up to do. In this passages that we've been looking at, this farewell discourse that Jesus gives to his disciples, Jesus is telling his disciples, y'all, it's too late for y'all to be figuring out if this is something y'all want to do. Now it's time for y'all to do the mission that we've been training for for the last three years. And here are some last instructions I'm going to give you to tell you what to expect. So as we start our, our, our message today, I've titled it The People of the Spirit. He's telling us, he's already promised us the Spirit. Now he's telling us what this is going to look like. So John 15, verse 11, Jesus tells us, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He's telling us these things so that his joy may be in us. What things is he talking about? He tells us, he tells the disciples earlier, they started out with 12 disciples in the room. He tells them, one of you is going to betray me. This is something that they were not expecting. And actually, when he tells them this, they start looking around saying, who is it? Is it you? Is it you? And finally, Jesus answers the question and says, Judas Iscariot, it's going to be you. Go do what you got to do. And from that point on, him and the other 11 disciples are hanging around for a couple of hours. And he's giving these instructions to them. He's giving this advice to them. He goes on to tell them, it's not going to be long, guys. Listen, John 14, 3, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. 
And his disciples have questions after that. How do I know the way? Well, I, guys, you know the way. I'm the way. You don't have to ask the way. I'm going to come and take you to that place anyway. But I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. I'm the way to get there. And then he tells his disciples, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's telling us these things. He's preparing us for what is going to happen so that we can have joy as things come up. Because listen, otherwise, they've spent three years with this guy that's about to be crucified, handed over, betrayed, and go away. If he doesn't tell us what's going to happen and what to expect, it's very likely that these disciples, as we saw in the accounts after Jesus' resurrection, would just go back to their daily lives. But Jesus tells them these things so that their joy can be complete. And now he's going to tell us some more things that we should be able to expect. So the first point in your, in your notes, you are loved. First thing that he tells them to, in, this, in this message today, you are loved. Look at John chapter 15. If you're turning in your Bibles, we'll spend most of our time in John chapter 15 today. Verse number 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, Jesus is telling us, Jesus is encouraging us to abide in his love. This, this word abide, it keeps coming up. We keep hearing it over and over again. We heard it a lot last week. We're hearing it this week. Abide in the Father's love. He says it so much, it's got to be important. Y'all know in school whenever the teacher says something and then they go, hey, you might want to write that down. Jesus is saying this word abide over and over and over again in his last words to the disciples before he's betrayed. He's telling them, guys, the way that you're going to have success, the way you're going to be able to experience the fullness in this ministry that I have for you is if you will abide. You know, I thought the idea of the Father's love, as I was preparing, I was thinking, all right, this is probably a New Testament concept. It's probably something that we see the evidence of God's love in the Old Testament. We see God provide in the, in the Old Testament. We see God sparing his children in the Old Testament. We see God provide and making sure that provisions are met, that, that food is met. We, we see God preparing them for the Messiah that's to come, but we don't hear him talking about love. And not in my study, but in my quiet times this week, guys, God showed me that that is not true. In Psalm 13, 5, this is what David wrote in the Psalms. I will trust in your unfailing love. I will sing to the Lord, for he is good to me. And then Psalm 25, 8, the Lord is good, and he does what is right. And then this you know, last night in my quiet time, Psalm 36, 5, the psalmist wrote, David wrote, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness spans the skies. All right, so third day song, right? Alan loves the third. That is the third day song where Mac Powell shouts out the words and then sings the words right behind it. I know that's your favorite part of the song. You love it. I'm, Will, can you start doing that for us? Just shout out the words and then start singing them. <laughs> Alan has got veto power over that. Okay. Well, the idea that God's love is a New Testament idea is, is not true. God's love is an idea that has spanned from very creation all the way through today. God is a relational father that has love for us. So Jesus is reminding his disciples, he's encouraging his disciples, hey, don't forget this, guys. Abide in the father's love. Abide in his love. Don't let it pass. Don't forget that you are loved. And as a result, you must love one another. In your notes, you must, you're loved and you must love one another. 
verse 12. This is what Jesus says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And earlier in this, in this discourse, as he was talking to his disciples, uh, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then in verse 35, he says, This is how the world is going to know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus says that this love that we have between one another, that is the hallmark of being a disciple. That is the thing that is going to show the world that we are followers of Christ if we continually have love for one another. Every time we see love, you know, in English, we use words so flippantly and carelessly that, that words sometimes lose their meaning. This word love, we use love. I love potatoes. Really? What have you done for a potato? No, I like potatoes. I enjoy potatoes. I think potatoes are delicious if you put enough flavor on them, I guess. I don't love potatoes. Love is a word that is always accompanied with action. Love re- requires a response of action out of our lives. Okay? Look at what Jesus continues in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, than lay down his life for his friends. Now, sure, he's foretelling what he's about to do on the cross. When we think of this idea of laying down our lives, it's, it's an idea of self-sacrifice. The same Apostle John that wrote this gospel, he also wrote three letters to the churches, and he wrote Revelation. I want to look at what he wrote in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but let us word in deed and in truth. See, John tells us that this idea of laying down our lives, it's about setting ourselves aside. When I love someone, I love them to the point that I will give up what I want for what they need. And that's how he tells us to interact as his disciples, as co-laborers in Christ. We give up what we want for what each other needs. We build each other up. We always encourage each other. Guys, this is, this is such a crucial point. Hey, I do want to, do, I want to give a, a way of illustration here. Is there anybody in here that thinks that they are strong? I need one volunteer. Somebody that thinks they're pretty strong. Come on up. Come on up. That's fine. <laughs> All right, so what I've got here is a pencil, all right? Now, this is no ordinary pencil. This is a Crazy Art colored pencil, and anybody that knows me knows why I chose Crazy Art colored pencils for this illustration is because, did you know that colored pencils are cheaper than number two pencils? I don't know why that's true. Yeah, sure enough, I'm at Walmart last night, and I get 72 of these for $6.98, or I can get 48 number two pencils for 10 bucks going with these all right so i want you to show us how easy it is to break a pencil you think you can do it well let's see there you go look at that give him a hand all right tore that thing down like a champ but now i got a challenge for you i got two of them. Now take a look at it. Make sure I haven't done any funny business to it. I don't have any metal in there or nothing to keep you from breaking it, right? Think you can break two of them? Maybe 
Let's see. There you go. Good job. Woo. I said, don't hurt yourself. What do you think? No. You up for it? I can try. You can try? All right. Let's, let's see what happens. You got three? You bend in it? Can you break it? They can get it. <laughs> oh, man, that's pretty tough, isn't it? That's pretty tough. All right, give him a hand, y'all. Give him a hand. All right, you can have a seat. You want to try it one more time? All right. Well, well, they've already applauded for you, so they're not going to applaud again, all right? That's the most interesting technique I've ever seen, by the way. Oh, they're, they're so bent. Y'all, if y'all could just see how much those have bent and not even cracked, have they? Oh, you almost got it. Well, good trying. Hey, take it with you. See if you can get it at home today, all right? Just so you know, uh, last night I tried it. I got four, so Logan is not that far off from me, or maybe I am not that far off from a 12-year-old. I don't know which is true. <laughs> Uh, but good job. Appreciate you trying that. Did you notice how every time you added one to the mix, it got tougher to break them? It got tougher to snap it every time you add one. One's pretty easy to break. When you got two, you got to start trying. And by the time you get to three, now you got to really put out or you're not going to make any headway. This is the illustration. This is the picture that Jesus wants to paint for us that we should love each other to the point that when the enemy comes to attack, we're so woven together that it becomes difficult to break us. We're so interwoven and we're so bonded together that we are building each other up. We're strengthening each other to the point that we can't be broken. By ourselves, one of us, yeah, the enemy can take us right down. Together, as we're building each other up, as we're encouraging each other, as we're encouraging each other in the truth of God's word, the enemy can't take us down. And this is not just the way that God says is best for us. This is not just what God thinks is going to give us the most joy in our lives. Guys, this is necessary. And it's necessary because, look in your notes, number two, you are hated. Oh, buzzkill. Jesus just says, I'm loved, and now I'm hated? Let's look at what Jesus tells us. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We talked about love being an action word. Hate is another one of those action words. We talk about hating as just like this severe dislike or I, I really can't stand. That's not what hate is. Hate is actively coming against someone, actively trying to promote oneself over someone, actively trying to suppress someone. That's what hate is. I want to point out some contrast and comparison in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love and hate. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love being patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Hate is demanding. Hate wants what I want. I want it now. Love is not envious and boastful. Hate is jealous and conceited. Hate is all about me. You're going to see this as a, as a pattern. Love is not rude or selfish. Hate is very rude and selfish. Love 
rejoices in truth. Y'all hang on to that. Love rejoices in the truth. Hate rejoices in wrongdoing. That's straight out of 1 Corinthians 13, y'all. Love rejoices in what is true. Hate rejoices in what is wrong. And you know, we talk about the world. The world is this, you know, in, in church circles, we would call the world lost people. Jesus says in verse 19, I chose you out of the world. Listen, Jesus has called all of us out of the world. Jesus has called the entire world out of the world. It's those of us who have responded to that love that are no longer of the world. We are of God the Father. Okay? But again, Pastor Allen shares with us all the time, that doesn't make the world our enemy. The world is our prize. We want to reach the world with his gospel. It's this picture. Have you ever, you ever have a situation where you are fighting so hard for someone's best and they are fighting against you with everything that they have? That's what's going on between us and the world. We are fighting for the world to see this truth of God's grace and truth of God's love. And the world is so avidly trying to push us and beat us down. While the whole time, we have to stand behind each other and strengthen one another so that we continue to persevere in this fight. Do you know who is our enemy? It's the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. The evil one. We know that we are of God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Talking about our enemy, our adversary, the, our, our, our enemy, the devil. All right. I loved seeing the picture from the IF conference yesterday with the flags planted out front. On one side of the flag, there was written a lie from the devil, and on the other side was written a truth from God's word. Listen, that's how the devil works. The devil is the father of lies. The devil does not work in truth. He is not good. He is not love. He does not rejoice in the truth. The devil rejoices in wrong. He rejoices in evil. He rejoices in wrongdoing. So his only tool against us is lies usually coded in some form of half-truth. And as someone I, I, I admire a lot tells me, the devil tells us three kinds of lies. He tells us lies about who God is, he tells us lies about who each other are, and he tells us lies about who you are. Every lie the devil packages, he's going to package in one of those things. And listen, the devil's going to tell you, man, I don't know why you're even trying to read your Bible this morning. You know you don't want to. I don't know why you're trying to pray. God's not listening to you. I don't know why you're continuing to try to shake this sin off. You'll never do it. You're not good enough for God. He's not going to forgive you for that again. That's what the devil's going to tell you. He's going to tell you those lies. And that's why it's so important, church, that we bond together. Now, again, I'm going to say this many times today. We've got to bond together in love to encourage and support one another. The, the enemy is intent on making us as ineffective as possible, y'all. Jesus doesn't stop at saying that we're going to be hated. He says you're going to be hated and you will be persecuted. You'll be hated and you'll be persecuted. Let's look at verse 20. Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. This is a picture that Jesus paints two times before this in this discussion. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. You'll be hated, 
to the point of persecution. It's a word we don't use much. We hear it oftentimes, and, it, and we see it in terms of torture. We see it in, like, you know, in Southeast Asian churches where folks are having to worship underground to, continue, you know, to be able to not lose their lives to reach people for the gospel. But let's listen. I want to look at a, a secular definition of persecution and then what one theologian said. So one definition said persecution is systematic, physical, social, mental, emotional, or spiritual mistreatment of a person or group of people. All right, it doesn't just talk about physical. It's, it's the whole realm of the body, okay? And then a theologian wrote, A godly testimony will often result in ridicule, scorn, deprivation, physical harm, and even death. Jesus and his disciples were, are, and will be subject to ridicule and insult. Jesus, listen to this, was despised and rejected of men, finally crucified. His disciples were insulted, jeered, mistreated, deprived, destitute, persecuted, wandering in deserts and mountains, in caves and holes in the ground, tortured, sawed in two, jailed, flogged, chained, put to death by the sword, quenched the fury of the flames, and stoned. Did y'all know of the 11 disciples that were left, that only one of them made it to see a natural death, and he did it in exile? The other 10, their lives were taken prematurely through persecution. Persecution, y'all, it's hate that's designed to shut us up and shut us down. That's what the world wants to do. They want to shut you up and shut you down. And whenever the world's not doing a good enough job of that, guess who's going to come in? Boss, our enemy, the evil one. The enemy's going to come in. He's going to whisper those lies. Well, do you really think that person's going to listen to you share the gospel? Do you really think that person's going to respect you after you tell them what you, what you believe? Do you really think that God's going to do a work in this? The devil's going to whisper those little lies. And the closer connected you are, the closer you are abiding in Christ, the more you're going to see that persecution. Jesus promises us. He doesn't suggest that if you might see persecution. He says, you will be persecuted. My disciples, you will be persecuted. That is a description of what we should expect. You'll be persecuted by your family. You'll be persecuted by your friends, by your coworkers, your boss, your subordinates, your teachers, your coaches, your club leaders, your students, your neighbors. You'll be persecuted by people you don't even know. Well, let me tell you something, church. I'll tell you one person they ought never be persecuted by is each other. Okay? We as disciples better not ever be persecuting each other. Oh, man, that doesn't really happen. Guys, I was saved three days before I felt persecution from within the body of Christ, y'all. Three days. I'll go out to football practice. I'm sharing with one of my friends on the line. I said, man, I've accepted Jesus. I'm going to be baptized this Sunday. And he goes, man, I just think that's a little showy. Like maybe you ought to spend a little more time getting ready for baptism. Three days. Three days, and I'm facing persecution. I'm as excited as I'd ever been about Christ because I'm as saved as I've ever been in Christ. And three days later, I'm facing persecution from people who are supposed to be on my side, y'all. We're on each other's team. We cannot be the ones tearing each other down. 
Listen, I was reading in the news this week of, of a church pastor. I'm not going to call names. But if you've seen the news, you've probably heard it. A m- massive church pastor that's responsible for probably tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ over the past 30 years has found himself in a very compromising position that he should have never been in. And what am I reading? I'm reading, well, we all kind of saw that coming. Well, I guess that's why you need to have character to be a preacher and not just charisma. Well, I guess we'll see how the rivers of money come flowing in now. Well, is anybody really surprised now that we know the truth? That's not what USA Today wrote, church. That's what Christian editors and bloggers are writing about this person. Don't tell me that's accountability. That is public smear tactics against one of our own. We cannot do that. We are on each other's team. We build this brother up in Christ. We pray for him. We pray for his church. And we pray for each other. I am so thankful that I can share the story I'm about to share with you without fear. Guys, I've been in the last three months on such an emotional whirlwind that it is unbelievable. January 2nd, I lost my grandmother. On January 5th, I had the opportunity to share Jesus with with about 50 of my family and friends, most of whom had never heard me share Jesus in an unadulterated gospel presentation as I did that day. That was my grandmother's dying wish, and I'm so thankful that she gave me that opportunity to look her cousins and my cousins and our friends in the eye and tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and our hope that Mama is in heaven is because she rested her hope in Jesus, and that's the only way you have to have that hope as well. Two weeks later, I get the opportunity kind of ad hoc, something come up, I get to share God's love with the rest of my church family who I've come to love. What, a, what an amazing privilege I had back in January to do that. A month after that, I get to baptize my son who accepted Christ after I've been praying for him for six years. What a joy in my life. And then two weeks after that, I get to hold my newborn baby in my arms for the very first time. And that was on March 8th. And on March 9th, I'm sitting in a hospital room beside my wife, curled up, unable to speak hardly anything because I find myself depressed and I find myself listening to the enemy's lies. The enemy's lies that, listen, I've, I've, I've battled sin before and there are sins, there are thorns in my flesh. I've battled depression before and I've got a support team around me that helps me through that, but I have never had the enemy come at me and attack. Is this really what you believe? Is this faith in God really real? You really think Mamaw's in heaven? He is challenging the very core beliefs in my faith, y'all. Pouring these lies in here. And you know what I did? I didn't stop having a quiet time. I started doubling my quiet time. I ran straight back to the source that was going to fix this. I didn't hide this from my pastor hoping that I would be able to fix it in a couple of months. I ran straight to him. I go out to the parking lot and I call Alan with tears in my eyes and my voice. I say, man, I don't know what's going on. I need help. 
And Alan doesn't say, well, I'll tell you what, I know you're supposed to preach in a couple of weeks, but won't you take some time and let's make sure that you got everything right. We don't want to take a risk of things not working out. Alan says, I'm going to pray for you. In Jesus' name, we're going to ward off this attack from the enemy. And I'm going to encourage you every step of the way. That's the culture we have at Lindsay Lane North. And that's not just a culture between me and Alan. That's a culture that should exist between every one of us. We can't come in on Sundays with a mask on our face pretending that everything is okay with us in the world. It's not. It's not okay with me. And there are things in your life that are not okay too. Listen, we all need these relationships. The Bible models a Paul, Timothy, Barnabas type relationship to where you are mentoring someone and encouraging someone to grow in their faith and you are running to someone to encourage you in your faith as you grow. None of us has arrived. None of us is above needing that accountability, that encouragement, that partner to build one another up in love. The enemy wants to shut us down, and he'll do it any way he can, and here's why. Because the world stands guilty. The world stands guilty. The enemy has already been condemned. There is no hope for him. And all he is hoping to do is to drag down as many people as he can with him. Hoping it will be more fun to lose as long as i got a crowd around me. I guess that's what he's thinking. Because he knows he doesn't win. Well, what, what Jesus says, verse 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated me and the Father who sent me. The word is written and the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. We're not greater than the Master. They hated Jesus first. And they're going to hate us. And the enemy is going to come at us as much as he can with everything he has to tell you that you're not good enough, to tell you that you don't have what it takes to glorify God in yourself and to reach others with the gospel. Let me tell you this. Jesus tells us that our job, because the world stands guilty, you must testify. The world stands guilty and you must testify in your notes. Verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is what, the, this is what these folks have been training for for the last three years. No longer do they need the person of Jesus beside them to do the miraculous signs and wonders that he had done. The Holy Spirit is about to come. Read Acts chapter 2. See what the Holy Spirit does when he shows up. He starts doing amazing things, just like the kinds of things that you would have saw when Jesus was around, except now he's doing it through the disciples. He's doing it through those who chose to follow him. Jesus says, I'm equipping you with what you need, y'all. Here's your job. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you're going to face, but here's how you're going to do it. It's our job to win the world. It's our, it's our job to reach the world for the gospel. It's our job to reach them with the truth. This is why we endure this persecution. We have an eternally 
significant task at hand. Our task is to reach those who cannot save themselves. God has given us and uniquely called and qualified us for the job that he has given us. And in your notes, the last thought, Jesus gives us overflowing joy to endure. If we abide in him. It's overflowing joy. Man, you ever see a small child take a, take a glass or a little cup and fill it with Kool-Aid and they fill it all the way to the top and they pick it up and they take off walking and they just leave a trail behind them? Yeah, y'all know that? Yeah. That's the picture. God's joy is so much more than our joy. Look back at John 15, 11 again. I'll speak these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's saying, I have so much. His joy far exceeds what our joy can, can handle. It's the idea that he is constantly pouring that joy into our cup. And everywhere we go, we should be leaving a little trail of droplets of Jesus' joy amongst every person that we interact with, with every person that we touch, with every place that we go to. If we are abiding in Christ, if we are connected to the Father, our joy is going to be overflowing on everything and everybody that we touch. Not our joy, though. It's his joy. The joy that can actually change lives. The joy that can actually do something. Listen, y'all, I, I can't express to you how, <laughs> how overwhelmed I am at God's providence, at God's ability to work his, his plan or his exquisite design in our lives. This is not something, Alan didn't ask me to preach this, this week. This is a date that we picked back in January for me to preach today. And I was supposed to preach the last series message in a series in Mark. Okay? God knew that that wasn't going to happen. God knew that I was going to land on this message, this message that confronted the exact nature of the things that I was facing in my life. If you think God doesn't have a plan for your life, wake up, y'all. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. And he has every detail and every step in mind as he sets that plan. So when he tells you this is your job, when he tells you this is your mission, when he tells you you're going to face persecution, he knows what that is, and he has people in place right now to build you up as you walk through that. God's design is perfect. His plan is perfect. And that plan, for whatever reason, includes you and me. So I encourage you, look at yourselves. See the marks of discipleship in you. If you find that you're not loving one another, if you find that you don't face persecution, listen, the enemy's going to attack those of you, those of us who are his biggest threats. Find yourself abiding such that we are a threat to the enemy. If you find yourself not testifying, if you find yourself with your joy not overflowing, don't try harder. That's not going to work. Go back and abide in Christ. Find yourself abiding in Him. Abide in His love. Run to the Father. Will's going to sing that in a minute. Run to Him. Don't run away from Him. Don't try to hide from Him. The psalmist says, where could I go to escape your presence? You're everywhere. If I run in the mountains and the caves, you're there. If I run to the grave, you're there. God, there's nowhere I can run to escape from you. So don't run from Him. 
Run to him. He's the one that has the tools to pull this off. He's the one that has that joy. But finally, I want to mention, if, if there's somebody in here that you'd say, you know what? I don't know that this church thing is for me. Maybe, maybe your, your husband or your wife drug you here today, your mom or dad drug you, or you're here because of social pressure or because of, it's good PR. I want to tell you that we do not condemn you. This church does not condemn you, and neither does Christ. Look at what the Bible says in John 3, 17. The Bible says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't do that. He sent His Son so that He could save the world. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Listen, y'all. We're not here to pass judgment. We're not here to pass condemnation. We're here to tell you the truth about how you can escape judgment, how you can escape the condemnation. That's the model that Jesus set for us. So if you don't know that you've escaped that, if you have not ever ran to the Father, let today be that day. When I say amen, come up, talk to me. We'll get you linked up with somebody that can share. If you don't know, come to me. Let us talk to you. We'll figure it out together. We're on your side. We want to link up with you in this bond of love that we just talked about for 30 minutes. We're on your side. We're on your side. Let us be your church family. Let us be those that hold you up. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your love and your grace. God, be glorified in this time. Remove barriers, remove obstacles. Just be glorified. Bring people to yourself. Grow us every day. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. As we sing, let's worship together. If God has moved you to respond, we'll be here. Come on up. Don't let anything stop you.